Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Inspiring Futures. Uh, very excited to have Lindsay Slaby as my guest. Um, in full transparency and total confidence, it has taken us seven months to <laughs> get back together after a failure in the technical department, and it was entirely my fault. We did actually un do an amazing podcast that probably can't possibly be recreated, um, but I never took my recorder off the pause button. <laughs> so that amazing experience uh, was never recorded for posterity. But now we are um, in this wonderful uh, Betaworks podcast studio with the state-of-the-art equipment, Mr. Alexander Ray, who you might have heard on an earlier podcast episode from Orcs has set us up and uh, everything is looking good right now. So um, hopefully there will be <laughs> success, nothing but success and upside this time. So uh, as we usually do on these uh, on this show, uh, we ask our guests to give us a little bit of a resume journey, uh, how they got to where they got to. Uh, we try and keep this to a sort of a manageable time length versus the taking up the whole podcast. So, um, Lindsay, do you want to far away? Welcome yeah. to the show. Excited to have yep. you on. Thank you for having me. And it's nice to be at Betaworks. I did the first dinner and event at Betaworks while it was still in construction in the basement wow. and brought maybe 20 of my favorite creative partners, marketers together. And I think a lot of Great relationships have come from that, but it's nice to see where Betaworks is at now. So a resume journey. Um, I did a talk last year at Webster University in St. Louis to talk with the same question about sort of how do I put my story together? And I'd always felt like it was so disconnected because it I did move around a lot and I've tried a lot of different things. And so I did sort of a story arc exercise where I um, kind of thought of what was the call to adventure? What was the tension I was trying to solve? Kind of the main characters and why I moved around. And I think um, I went from marketer agency side to investment side to marketer side to agency side to where I am now. And I think all of the little pieces of what I learned along the way have really now come together precisely to what I'm doing, which feels like a sense of relief. Um, you know, I started a company seven years ago, which is called Sunday Dinner, and it's really this interesting vehicle that allows me to apply all of the things I've picked up along the way, as well as to continue to be a sponge for learning new things. And I think at the sort of heart of what I would say at its simplest form, Sunday Dinner is a brand consultancy. I work alongside top marketers as almost their hired gun, um, their fixer, their number two. I've heard the Olivia Pope term <laughs> a few times to help them really figure out what it means to operate as a marketer today, which is how they navigate enterprise strategies, thinking about team structure, thinking about how is marketing and advertising contributing ultimately to the bottom line, and how do you start to make those decisions. And there are a lot of different people that they turn to along the way, but sometimes it's nice to have almost a confidant, a consigliatory, consigli I can never say that. Conciliary. Yeah, yeah, that word. And yeah. someone you can just quickly, at a, a drop of a hat, call in to do a variety of projects. Um, and I think, again, you know, I'm, I'm constantly exposed to other ways that agencies, consultancies, other partners are helping them as well, which to me is just the most fascinating spot to be sort of observing that within a variety of different companies. That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. You know, you started off saying, well, I've been around <laughs> and done a lot of different things. But, you know, obviously that is good experience. You yeah. Know, the more things you've sort of done, the more of a 
better picture of, of the world you capture through those experiences and then you can seemingly apply that. And some people know that they're built to keep moving versus yeah. I want to grow roots somewhere and yeah. I just believe that I'm built to keep moving around. And so I like that nature of being able to constantly pop in and out of different experiences, learn different things, work with different clients, etc. That I think is what fuels me and many people who are probably more entrepreneurial or consultant like in how they operate. What what um, percentage, not I or whatever, of your engagements are yeah. people who just set foot in a new job and want some help to sort it out versus people who've been there for a while and are just like... Mm. I would say this year and last year, 75% of my clients are all starting in a new new role somewhere. Okay. That's and they need a quick yeah, number two. And it... It makes a lot of sense because when you start a new role, you don't want to make a lot of quick changes. You're constantly in meetings, learning, getting to know the team and the culture, which is most important. But on the back end of that, someone is ex also expecting that once maybe those 90 days are up, you've built a full marketing strategy, you have all the solutions, you've done all the hard things, and that's hard to do on your own. It's also hard to be coming in and feeling like you're auditing things or you've hired a big team on to start auditing or you've immediately started hiring all these agencies you need that time to again really get to know what this company is to understand what your goals are but you need someone else helping you along the way so how, mu how much of that work would be i mean i've heard quite recently from people that one of the biggest challenges is the for the new person coming in is they inherit a team Mm. And that that team could easily conspire against their success if, oh. they, didn't, if they didn't feel <laughs> that they were particularly, you know, whatever. So the first thing could be bringing that internal, the closest thing you have is your internal team up to speed with what your plans are and making sure that they feel like they're included in that. And that seems like a, a, a fairly important first step. Is that something you you stay clear of that or is that no i'm involved with in in various ways again my scopes are always different based on the company and what they're going through but i do feel like it is extremely important to make friends with the people who are part of your team as you get to know them also feel like you're offering them value to grow their careers and learn new things versus very quickly coming in evaluating and saying you know, person Y doesn't have these skill sets. These are the skill sets I'm looking for. I'm going to find someone else. The best thing you can do is really help find a, a way to retrain them and grow that loyalty with them that they already have for the brand and working for you. It's such a nuanced conversation. Um, and it goes from not just the internal people you have working for you on your immediate marketing team, but also maybe you have an internal agency. Maybe you have a roster of agency partners, mm -hmm. you know, immediately – Everyone thinks, oh, yep. new head of marketing, they're, they didn't hire these out, outside partners, they're immediately going to let them go and hire new people. And I understand wanting to be closely surrounded by people you know and trust, but I don't think it immediately means you need to um, cut the cord on all of these relationships. Again, anyone who comes in, building that 90-day plan and really sitting down and being precise about it and what, what we hope to accomplish um, is super important, and a lot of that is talent and partnerships. Do you, do you think that this uh, these generation, this generation of marketers who are, who are being bought in, are all facing similar challenges and are kind of on us have a there are similarities between what they're trying to deal with? You know that you could kind of you know boils down to like obvi obviously situations are different, but there seems to me like you know, things like the importance of KPIs and ROI, mm. the importance of breaking out of the silo of marketing, um, the charge that they've been given as, as they've been bought on. Um, there seems to be like a certain perception of marketing that's emerging ins inside like top level organizations that uh, is a little different from what it might have been, say, five years ago hard question because I think it's so specific to the organization and the marketer. So I think a challenge for some marketers who've climbed so high, so high at big CMO levels of different places, they might be more top of funnel, a top of funnel marketer who's great at creating 
fame and mm -hmm. awareness mm -hmm. and you know driving consideration into the brand but the other side of growth and connecting to customer experience etc is potentially new territory for them or they've outsourced that knowledge to someone else for a while so you have different um types of cmos like uh, Mayorette, um, the CMO of Freshly, I follow him on LinkedIn. I'm obsessed with reading everything he says because it's all about breaking down the funnel, looking at any dollars you have to spend on marketing as a whole, whether that's advertising, performance, product, customer experience, how all those touch points are going to work together. That's hard, hard, hard work to do. It requires um, not just the right level of intelligence, but support and buy-in from senior leadership to let you sort of dismantle and rethink how we're going to do all of this. So I think as, you know, a really important thing is, is understanding as an organization when you're hiring a head of marketing what you really need them to do. Sure, they might have grown, you know, a, a CPG brand a, a particular way in their past, but there's kind of a new playbook that's required. Um, and so I think that is one of the most interesting consideration points on what a marketer is meant to be delivering. I'm yeah. not sure I'm answering your question. No, I think you did a pretty good job. But I have lots of thoughts on what, yeah, no, what, what like the purview of what marketing is anymore, yeah. right? Like, yeah. is it just, you know, advertising and building brand, building brand, what does that mean? And in so many conversations, you know, in, in the beginning where it's most interesting, right? The beginning when you're new at an organization, you have a lot of freedom to ask a lot of questions. It's the best time to explore, okay, we're spending $100 million on paid media, et cetera, et cetera. If we were to cut 50 out of that and reinvest that into our customer experience platform or a loyalty program or something of that nature, how would we look at that as an enterprise? Where are we willing to take a dip, but then believe that long-term we're gonna grow over here? And is that the responsibility of the CMO to have that conversation or who? And I think it's different by each organization, but that is where I think it's becoming overly complicated because even in marketing, we've siloed everything, but then within the organization, we've siloed everything with innovation and product. We don't connect all the dots and it's challenging. Everyone's always tried to connect the dots we're always going to be so it's just how do you create unification amongst these different groups so you can get to the best use of where you're investing your dollars to grow your business and a lot of that is personality too it's it's just it's we can build all these beautiful models about how we want everyone to work together but if you inherently don't sit down and think highly of the person who's your peer and trust them and experiment and fail together then I don't think any piece of paper that talks about how we're going to work better together is really going to work. Yeah, sure. I mean, ultimately, it's all about relationships. And I think what, yeah. what, what you've sort of said is there's sort of a, a spiraling of multiplicity of relationships now for, for these CMOs to manage um, because there are just so many different touch points. And, and what's in their remit. That, yeah. that is the most challenging yeah. piece. And some people fundamentally do break out advertising from, you know, digital product or from performance or from growth. But then there's a frustration around, you know, reporting where you're not, if you're not really able to connect all those dots together, then how are you looking at where the enterprise is best investing? Yeah, yeah it's interesting. I mean, I think um, Forrester wrote this thing at the end of the year saying sort of marketing is being coming unbundled mm. uh, from the marketing department. And when you consider things like talent hiring, purpose, um, diversity issues they are actually brand issues but they're sometimes outside the remit of the marketeer so hr is involved um sustainability how, how we yeah. think about that yeah. as a brand is yeah. massive and how can you we can't just keep putting messages out there if they're not true to what the company is right. actually doing and so that has to be unified at all it obviously it gets increasingly harder at large organizations on paper, but the people I see doing it best are the my larger clients. They really do have a C-suite that works in lockstep because mm -hmm. they have years and years of experience of how to get their talent to work well together versus a lot of startups where even if it's a, you know, $1 billion valuation startup, I actually see a lot more chaos there. I work less with those types of companies. I think they have a lot of things in-house, but 
they are generally a, a little bit more chaotic because they are doing quick tests, quick tests, quick tests of everything. And I actually think it doesn't build stability, if that's making sense. Sure. No. <laughs> well, because, I mean, it's a culture... You know, I think what's really, really interesting, and in, in, in it, and it's come to light in the last month or so. Mm. Um, you know, Casper's um, not so stellar IPO and the demise of Brandless, which, in my opinion, was never a concept from day one. Um, but you know, what's happened is uh, either you didn't know your competitive space well enough. You didn't do the, put the due diligence into the research in the case of brandless because I think they're like, oh, there's a brand tax that we don't want consumers to pay. Well, consumers actually do like some brands. Mm -hmm. And if they want to pay less and get value, there's a thing called private label that does a really pretty good job and it's getting better and better at it. Um, and, and Casper, I, you know, I, don't, I don't have a lot of opinions. I don't know their marketing strategy or how sure. they were spending money. But I certainly didn't need to see another ad in the New York City subway. I, it's sort of like, we got you. We know you exist. Move on. Right. You know, I, I don't think it's almost like they never stopped advertising, and that's expensive. And my question then gets back to, I think, maybe also where you come in is, like, I think the role of a head of marketing right now, which is so important, is to make really firm decisions. So to say... If we have a thousand dollars, it's actually it's harder to make the decisions when you have more money because you can just spend it and you just kind of put a wide net out there and see what sticks. But when you have a smaller budget, the decisions around what am I, what do I need this dollar really to do for my business? I need to, you know, in their case, I need to steal market share from mattress firm, but where and have we already done that? I need to open up a new. Um, you know, audience for us in X mm -hmm. geography for this type of, of um, customer. And sometimes I think that that really finite, detailed job to be done and comms plan doesn't exist. You see such a, we just need to generate awareness with age 18 to 49. And I know that as strategists, those things all make us kind of cringe, but they still exist. Um, and it's just like we need to throw a lot of things at the wall and see what sticks versus I know very specifically I want to steal market share from L'Oreal in urban markets with this type of audience. Build me a plan around that and show me the investment. And I bet you that will move the business faster than just mm -hmm. let's buy a lot of out of home. But again, I think that gets back to the premise that these are very hard decisions and it's very hard to build smart strategic planning like yeah. that. Well, I think I think there's a I think there's a diff I think the startup yeah. or the billion dollar unicorn is l their motivation and their agenda sure. is I think get us to a point where well, investors can you need subscribers, well, users, investors, customers, uh, yeah, top line I, growth. Whether it's starting with the angel investors looking for their return, or whether yeah. it's starting up for the v v VCs who are looking for their return, ultimately that guides the agenda. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say that's what drove Blue Apron into the ground. Mm. Um, you know, they want to do this fast. They want to do it faster than ever. Blue Apron spending like $300 per customer to acquire them. It's an unsustainable model. The whole thing kind of implodes on itself. So I think the, there's, there's a difference, but you know, those startups are mm -hmm. kind of looking to get to a place where their investors can feel happy that they're going to get some of their return back. Glossier, I mean... The darling of every conversation is always, we want to be more like Glossier. And yes, they've done a wonderful job in social talking to their community. But when you look at their actual sales, and I can't remember the website I always look at that shows me credit card data. I'm obsessed with it. Uh, I'm sure everyone is like, what is that? I want to know. Their sales, <laughs> it, how does Glossier s bring new customers into their pipeline? Black Friday sale, which they said they'd never do, mm. or physical stores. Yeah. And then the repeat purchase it's different by each customer that comes in, but it's less than 6% per year. Mm -hmm. So they have someone buying one product potentially every couple of years, mm. and they're getting them through physical, and they're getting them through discounting, which is everything that you would think Glossier was trying to be against. Yep. Now they have all this extra money. It's been rumored that they are for sale, and they have been declined by many places. Mm -hmm. And what do they do? You know, like, right. do they need to just keep acquiring, acquiring, acquiring? Do they improve their product? Do they, 
Now, and what is the mar- the role of the marketer there? When you get a Glossier package, which I'm sure you don't, they are in a giant box with a huge plastic bag and a lot of wasteful stuff in it for a tiny little product. And how does that align with their customer? It made me never purchase from them again. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think it's just thinking about all of these details and what the agendas yeah. are. So, I mean, I think I think you put those guys in their own bucket, bucket yeah. because I think they have very... Good luck. They're, okay. they're, well, their <laughs> agendas are very different from yeah, of course. the people who from are like... From a Walmart or a Microsoft. Eight, I want 1825 women yeah. To yeah. in Chicago. I, they, they, seem, they seem different. So we've got these kind of... I guess we've got these like legacy mm. brands out there. So, you know, we're talking classic, you know, it could be CPG, could be service brands, could be banks, insurance. There's a ton of people who aren't startups who are trying to do marketing and trying to do it well what do you what do you think um i think a lot of them are going through massive reorgs right now internally they have to cut costs there is been an i mean if if you are following how advertising is working with the growth of the economy i mean besides the political boost right now we're not it's not growing it's going to continue to keep cutting and cutting and um I think the the early signs of a lot of companies laying off and a lot of redundancy. We just we've just noticed a lot of in-house agency layoffs as well, which seem to not get as much press in the trades as in-house is growing. In-house is growing well. You know, three prominent companies just last week cut maybe thousands of jobs from their in-house creative agencies. Just to, to put it out there. But um, to go back to your question. Well, we were talking. Uh, you know, we said that if there, if, if we were very being very simplistic, oh, there are two, happens, two yeah. camps: there's the startups <laughs> with their own agendas, and then we were talking about like yeah. legacy companies. And you're saying, you know, I think there's a lot of reorgs that are happening within some of the the larger companies, and I think they're looking to consolidate, get rid of waste, get rid of advertising waste, get rid of overlap across departments, and clean up and tighten. And that might mean tightening rosters of partners, tightening internal capabilities and just become smarter about where they're investing their dollars right now. Yep, so it's, it's kind of like an optimization yeah. strategy, optimization of resources. And budget. across the enterprise, yeah. you know, marketing is just one sliver of that, where there are potentially a lot of easier ways to optimize versus supply chain switches or packaging or the really you know, challenging things that involve some sort of construction changes or whatnot. So the impetus for that is we're going to go through, you know, people talk about recession, people talk about lower growth. That's the, this is the preparation for that. Or is this just general? Optimization, cleanup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think cleanup is definitely happening across um, a lot of companies I work with. McKinsey, Bain, Deloitte are in there. They've been in there for years. These yep. are huge reorganizations that are yep. happening across the, you know, across each company, and um, I've been lucky to get to advise on the, the sort of um, side of marketing resources, whether that's internal, or external, mm-hmm. and there is a lot of overlap and waste and too many agencies. I think that's, you know, you see people are consolidating. their I'm kind of changing the subject. This is no, how it's I all work, related. Just so you know. I just I'm like a no, it's all related. <laughs> cycle, I mean. but either way. So I think the um, that roster decision. What happened was, and I know this is cyclical, and I've only gone through it a few times in my career. And other people will say, "Oh, we've seen this happen over and over again." But all of a sudden, everything became a specialist, and we reached out, and now you have maybe you had seven core agencies. Now, all of a sudden, the year later, you have 20, and then you have 30, and then you have 40. And that is extremely expensive. There's lots of overlap. There's multiple people you have to hire internally to manage all of that. And it continues to splinter the connection between the work you're actually doing. So consolidating that, having stronger relationships, more long-term partners, giving them the right financial stability they need to be your partner so they can hire great talent is also important. Do Does that need the term AOR or project? I could literally, I don't care. You know, if I'm still committing X millions of dollars to you and it's over 12 months and I don't call you AOR, do you care? No, don't care. 
Um, but I do think the consolidation of partners is definitely happening. We've, we're noticing it everywhere in the news now recently, and I think it's been quietly happening a lot more than is being discussed. Yeah. So um, a new era of efficiency mm -hmm. uh, is basically what we're, we're talking about, where um, we're using the – we're – being very thoughtful about the resources we apply, we're being very thoughtful about the returns we get, we're getting. Um, and as you talk about recession, I'm definitely not an economist, but hiring freezes are happening everywhere, especially at publicly traded companies. I mean, putting more people on their books signifies a very different thing to Wall Street than put, putting an extra million dollars into an ad agency, which is a completely different line item on the budget. It's much easier, in my opinion, to hire external partners to help you versus to add that one person. It's always a struggle. I found I was younger in my career. I didn't really understand how the financials worked. And I would say, we can hire this person for $80,000, right? Or you're going to hire an agency for 500000 Makes sense to hire the person. Nope. We hire the agency. Right. Can't have more headcount. Right. No, I see. It's, it's the visibility. It's the statement you're making. It's it's it's, it's all those, all those things. So, um, now in, interesting interesting and challenging times. So if 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 we've got this new era, this new regime, these new sort of protocols, what does that mean for partners? What do partners have to be mm. like in order to succeed in these new environments? Um, and, I, and I think one of the most important things, too, is we're not – the scary word is efficiency because if we drive everything to efficiency, then we stay on that growth performance side versus building brand. Just the word, right? It has this sort of well, mental no, connotation uh, of, like, no, I mean, ROI and cheap and everything. And I'm all over that because, because I, think, I think it's where – it, 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 it's naturally where you go. Mm. It's in my mind, there's um, clients run on logic. It, it's the, to me that the the classic legacy business is about is always been irrespective of marketing. Mm -hmm. It's why marketing has been crit critiqued internally because it doesn't seem to conform to the same kind of metrics and discipline that other parts of businesses do. Mm. So, in my simplistic terminology. There's a lot of businesses that are about making the trains run on time. You got to get the Coca-Cola concentrate to your fast food yep. partners. Um, you got to make sure you have cans of Coke in Walmart when they need to be in Walmart. There is a lot of yeah, we can't do without logistics. These yeah, yeah, fundamentals to run a giant corporation. Um, and you know, I think there's this desire that if only marketing could be like that mm. where i really had visibility i knew for every dollar exactly what i was getting back that i think that that mindset is reflective of the overall mindset of how a company tends to think mm. the imaginative we're going on the oscars we're doing a brand campaign it's all the, it's the soft, it's the emotional, it's the stuff that the, everyone else finds really hard to get their heads around. You don't know whether it pays back when someone hears that, you know, Spike Lee's getting $500,000 to make a spot or whatever. It's like, really? Well, I could do something, I could build a new warehouse. With that. I, don't, I don't know if there is this right and left brain alignment. All I know is that the ROIs that social media and the big channels have promised have been very successfully um, understood, I think, inside. inside uh, I think the Facebooks and the Googles have done an amazing job, whether it's yachts at Cannes or beach parties or whatever, or spending, <laughs> the, spending the money to convince people that, you know, if you want left brain and you want performance, mm. we have that for you in spades. The irony, of course, was... Um, Facebook got fined a paltry $40 million for falsifying some of the data that they were providing mm. agencies. So there's a sort of, there's a, there's a comfort in the numbers. 
if you, yeah. if you if you if your business runs on numbers anyway you know you can pull up a, a spreadsheet and you know your profitability on that line of business or on that brand in an instant um you want you want marketing to be uh, be aligned and I, I i feel that what you're saying is we're actually pushing i know it's you know like you're just calling time out pause but the reality is we're pushing to a much more of a rational left brain world of marketing where where efficiencies, programmatic, all those things that um, that do help the business run mm-hmm. um, and can be considered to be efficient are being are going to be highlighted and focused upon, I think, probably at the expense of some of the other stuff. Yeah, I would hope it doesn't completely turn that way. But, I mean, I, it is so hard to put a number on word of mouth, right? How do I find out about all the products that I love and I hear about them from someone else, right? Like I use, a, it's not because I saw 20 Peloton ads in my face that I purchased one. It's because someone had an experience with the product and told me about it or loved it. That is not measurable technically and it's hard. And Yes, you have to have people who understand how to balance that with an organization. So w- there's this constant tension. I see two circles, you know, the Venn diagram in my head as a slide always of brand and growth coming together and how does that work. When you can automate all of these things and make them efficient, that's great. I think where I'm talking more about efficiency is not having a silo that's influencer, social, media, mm-hmm. and how we bring things together more sure. into an integrated campaign. And then you can, align your ag- you can align your agency partners to that. Because right now, if it's siloed, then the person who runs that group is incentivized to just run that group. And they're not incentivized to make sure that it works well across these other components of the brand. So I think the more we can make how we operate more efficient within the brand side, then we can be clearer for our partners, whether they're internal or external. That's a whole other story. And we can make smarter decisions of where we're investing and why. And then hopefully you could start to see a little bit more about how all these collapsed pieces of the funnel work together because we still need to use awareness marketing to drive consideration. Sports marketing is great, right? Nike, Under Armour. Under Armour probably needs to spend a lot of money right now in awareness because people need to remember who they are and consider them in different ways. And they're going to do that by attaching themselves to sponsorships. That is a hard thing to track how that works. But if they can chart it the right way and they can build an integrated plan that builds all their performance whatever you want to call it, growth marketing around that, email marketing, other things that work in tandem integrated, then I think they can really see how a holistic program is working versus just one side versus the other. But um, yes, I think we're tightening. We're tightening who we're working with. We're getting smarter about how we're spending our money. We're making a lot of decisions that come from different um, different sides of the brain, right and left. But I, I do think getting back to the beginning of this, the role of what marketing oversees is changing and it's confusing. Because again, at some organizations, it's just advertising. But at other organizations, it goes all the way into what this new definition of customer journey, experience, CRM, whatever that really is. And um, I always like to think of, um, I think you, you had asked me a question in our pre-notes about who I thought was doing marketing really well. And I didn't really think of a TV campaign. I mean, everyone talks about Burger King. I think he works hard, and I think that he's doing an amazing job with a lot of different partners. But I actually thought of Expedia Gold. I don't know if you guys know. So Expedia, um, I purchase, I travel a lot, and I book all my hotel accommodations on Expedia because I have this gold membership. Gold membership, to me, is one it is hands down better than Amex membership anything else basically I have someone I can chat with however I want I can pick up a phone and call them and I get a real human in two minutes I can chat with them on text while I'm flying or whatever and they you know I book something like a concierge yeah I book something by accident that's not cancelable and they take care of it 
Oh, we'll take care of it. We'll get back to you in two days. Or, oh, this thing happened and I can't get a hold of the hotel. They take care of it. They, the service is amazing. The benefits are amazing. I get upgraded every hotel. And I think it's only because I stay with Expedia like 20 I don't know what it is, but mm. maybe it's like twenty or forty. Is it automatic? Is it? Are you you paying for it? Like are no, you, you don't pay anything for the program. It's just because you're a loyal. Expedia it's just because I purchase hotel rooms for them, so I've like opted into this right. program. And I think of the communication, the experience, everything is consistent across every touch point. And when I'm at, I'm on this podcast, and when I'm at dinners, and people ask me about travel, sure. all I do is talk about it. Yeah. That to me is brilliant. Marketing, service, experience. It extends to my hotel rooms. There's notes in my rooms. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just so well done. Yeah. And I cannot possibly think of the last time I saw an Expedia banner ad or commercial. I see Booking.com on American Airlines every single flight, and I literally disconnect my headphones because of the jingle. I'm like, it's very annoying. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think that, that whole... But like, what makes you switch? Like, w if your brand goals are we need switchers or we yeah. need to get new audience, like, what are the things that do that? And I think that's where it's really challenging because if you look at all the different tactics you have in front of you, just traditional advertising doesn't cut it. So those marketers who are pushed to do different things for the business need to look at other things, which then starts to be loyalty community engagement service offerings maybe we should actually be putting money into the product etc because um, again booking.com i have seen that ad probably 200 times and i don't book with them i'm not gonna book with them yeah no. you're one of the one one of the few who's not who's not succumbed to the the giant Oh, that is book. That is book. Well, like that blast in my head all the time is not making me think. Oh, I'm just gonna go use them because again, I have an ex experience. No, but you have you, you have a, you know you have a unique relationship, and it's uh, it's it's you know it's good. It's 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 based. Someone understands what your needs are, and it's offering. But I think it gets back to a big conversation that should have always been going on, but is way more prevalent right now, which is is our metric to continue to fill the funnel, fill the funnel, bring new people in. Or is our value to really look at existing customers and make sure that they're buying from us one time again or they're staying with us? And how do you balance that strategy and then map that against, again, that's really challenging if you are, you have a lot of investors, you're publicly traded because you need to make sure that what they're looking for in the market to show a healthy business is the same. But I do think... Um, <coughs> margins of acquisition are are definitely being looked at and you know the holy grail right ltv and how we look at that is also really important i would value i'd look at a lululemon that has really diehard fanatic people and value them much higher than someone who just looks like oh their their market numbers spiked because they had a new launch of x product and they brought a lot of people and those people are probably never going to buy from them again yeah. No, I mean, I think it's. Uh, I think this all it, it's all good. I, I. I feel like we're still kind of back to these, two camps, the sort of growth mm. camp and all the other stuff. The, the the to me, the growth camp is. What can we get. Results back on fast, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we need to show we need to show performance. We need to show metrics. Yep. All the other stuff, and I, I include, you know, I don't know if you, I mean, I'm sure you've come across the sort of the field and Binet's creativity crisis paper published in Cannes last year, where basically they sort of said that the agency world sort of shooting itself in the foot by awarding all these short-term campaigns awards. Because the data says that if you really want to make brand impact, you can't do it in the short term. If you think about how mm -hmm. you, how you perceive a brand, that's that's built up over time. All the all the interactions you have with Expedia Gold, mm -hmm. every single one of those are changed. If they wanted to change your perception, enhance your perception, that would take a while. It's not going to be a six week or six month program. It's going to yeah. be a multi year consistent effort. Um, which is a little bit why. Um, and that's hard when people are cycling through. Partners and projects. Yeah. Well, why I, I call out Snickers, you know, I I, I call yeah. out this is a this is a, you know, people kind of forget it, but you know, it's decades old, mm 
very clear strategy tied to the product. It, you know, being bought out in a gazillion variations, no one got bored with it, mm -hmm. you yeah. know. And, you know, so I think so much of, and they had the discipline to back it over time and to grow their brand and the metrics are amazing yeah. uh, as a result. And I, and I do feel creatives and agencies, CMOs, they're like, we're bored. We need to put our, you know, we need to put our mark on the, on the, on the table and, and, and get behind something, not somebody, something we've inherited, mm. um, which can be, become a force. But ultimately, I think you need somehow, yes, you've got to join the dots. Yes, you've got to have an honest evaluation of these silos, you know, what influencer marketing is exactly is working we don't know i mean there's so much there's so much written about how it's fraudulent how you can fix influencer marketing yeah. at a company you can solve a lot because i mean because it is not a silo it should be a, it's integrated a, part it's of integrated. your communication right. so the minute you start thinking about how we're going to do influencer marketing you're like okay what's our social strategy what's our content strategy how are they representing our brand values? How are we showing up at experiences? How are we thinking about SEO? Because YouTube is amazing for SEO. How are we thinking about paid media? And like that brief on influencer is everything because they're a part of all these other components. Sure. So when you just say, oh, we have X amount of money to spend on influencer marketing and it's just going to be organic and we're going to pay the influencers a little bit, I'm like, to, to what? For what purpose? Yeah. Is it Doesn't because you have a head of influencer at your company yeah. that needs something to do? Like integrate that into all these mm. components. And um, because social content paid, it should all be together. It's, that is more challenging, I think, for the larger organizations because influencer is the new social. Mm. They don't know where to put it. You know, they might be buying paid media through a you know, a Starcom of that nature. So they, they, it, they just can't work as nimbly and as fast as putting paid social behind it as well. So everything breaks at influencer marketing, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, that's an interesting point. So I th ultimately you get to these sort of, these two camps and you go, okay, there's, there's the stuff we know that we can get, that can drive the business forward, mm -hmm. uh, that we kind of need to be out there anyway. It's not always on world. We somehow need to be out there. This is the, the price of admission. Um, you've got to ask yourself whether you can actually afford to do that and yeah. play, play that game because that's not cheap. Just being out there is increasingly expensive. And then there's the other long-term stuff. And you've got to... I, I saw this... Um, there's a really good uh, series of videos. IPA, it all comes back to the kind of Peter Field being a thing. IPA have this effectiveness week. Mm. Um, and all the videos are up on YouTube. Um, and the guy from Adidas was talking about... Yes doing the media mix modeling and basically saying his story is amazing he yeah just, we're all out of whack he just turned it off and nothing nothing really happened right i think that all the time with clients I'm like what if we just turned off this amount of money and see what and put it over here and see what happens now they have to be able to move that money it might be in different pyramids or structures or like the way that they manage their um their books but yeah, that is ama it's amazing to think about. But so you've, so you've got to have an honest discussion, which says, you know, the organization is actually doing this this way, and it's not actually right, and we need to kind of recalibrate around what does make sense. We're under-investing in brand. So but that means tying it together. And the challenging thing that happens immediately is that you then hire a head of marketing, CMO, whatever you want to call them, that then gets responsibility of both of those two camps that you have. And that is challenging, right? You can have them oversee, but you probably need two deputies that do, do take care of that specific channel uh, or function of how it's delivering for the brand. It's just making sure that they are incentivized to work together. You know, so if one does well, then the other, then it, they- Mutually beneficial. Mutually beneficial, right. build it into their bonus structure. Right. You know, build all these things into the way that you're hiring and setting up a team so they work together. There was that um, image, it was like a conference a couple weeks ago in New York where someone put up an image of a perfect s purple squirrel. Did you see this? No. And it was like, this is the ideal marketing leader. And it did all these things, I'm like, 
Okay, so a unicorn, which is impossible. You're telling me it's impossible to find this human being. And it was interesting because, like, everyone was watching it and or commenting on it, like, oh, this is great. This is exactly what we should hire a CMO for. I'm like, the impossible set of skill sets. These are rare, it's, it, rare, rare things. You're never gonna, either you're never going to find them or... I thought it was actually a joke that someone yeah. was saying, oh, it's this, you know, unicorn, yeah. they're impossible to find. Right, but right. it was actually something someone was suggesting. <laughs> like, okay, I mean... Put so much pressure on ourselves to to do all of this. I I do think that again, there are different camps of heads of marketers. How you set up your team and think about capabilities at an enterprise level is just what's criti- the most critical, so that you get those teams incentivized to work together and not just well, social did X this month and we contributed this to the business and thus you know our department's working better. Well. But what was going on with the paid media or the creative work, et cetera, they're all separate silos that aren't really working together for how you manage that budget in totality. So then so then we've got the, mm. the other side of the angle, which is these agencies. Mm. So so suddenly these agencies, whether they're they're selected um, to actually the roster was thirty six shops and now they're eighteen and they're one of yeah. the eighteen. They got to play a different game. I mean, I think for uh, you know, part of the problem was the boundaries collapsed. So mm-hmm. your media agency. I mean, I was on a I was on a call years ago with a client. It was a media um, uh, a media presentation, and uh, it went something like this. Uh, the the head of the meeting went uh, the, on the media side went. Um, Okay, before we really start the meeting, we've got a couple of creatives from our studio who would really, really like to present um, some really initial creative thinking. And um, so they kind of went through the motions and then the client went, look, this meeting was never about creative. I hadn't asked you to do creative. Mm. Uh, We need the media plan. That's why we're on the call. Can we move on to that, please? Just just... What did you think about that? Well, it was just like analyzing what's going on here is we're in a giant sandpit. Everything's up for grabs. My PR agency's pitching a Super Bowl commercial. Mm-hmm. My ad agency's pitching a store design. Mm-hmm. My media shop's pitching creative ideas. It's like no one is playing in their own place. Everyone's overlapping. Everyone's trying... It's there's not enough. If someone someone has said all the walls and all the structures have come down, it's a free for all. Mm. So go go at it, and I'm going to buy the best idea. So whoever the 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 culture, the marketing culture, whoever, however this came to being, mm. only has itself to blame. Mm. Because that's the, those are the conditions that it, it created, where you know suddenly a, a PR shop in Santiago, Chile, could <laughs> pitch Burger King for a viral campaign and possibly win it. Who knows? I mean, it's just but it, for free because you know how Burger King gets their ideas. <laughs> right. You submit right. for free right. in an email. Right. Not cool. Right. Well, that's just. That's the way of the world, and it's they're not mm-hmm. the they're not the only guys. So the monster the the monsters out of the box, and everyone's playing. So we're now saying, okay, we agree there are two worlds. We agree there's a reduction in the number of agency partners. Now we want these agencies to stay in their lanes in their swim lanes, and we want them to play really nice with everyone else around them, because that's how it's going to work. That's what you think is happening. Well, that's what we're asking. We're, we're saying we're saying in this new marketing environment, we're we're looking at efficiencies. We're looking for real partners who can add real value, at and, and, and in very specific. You got because if if you don't if you're not specific, you're not going to gain efficiencies. You've got to be specific, right, about what you're asking people to do. Kind of, but I also I might I might go a slightly different direction. I think with some of my larger some larger brands that I know who expanded to 80 to 100 agencies, they were so overly specialized that it wasn't efficient because each group did was in their own little okay, silo. I, I get that. So you, so you reduce it down to 20. 
And then you're very specific about, you have to be very specific about who your partners are and what your expectations are of them. Yeah, well, with any person yeah. you hire, you have sure. a, you, you need to do this for us. But I think the orchestration of how you have those people work together, how you have them ideate together, and how you write their scopes is magic. I think that's one of the most important things a brand can do. Sometimes an example might be, I mean, great creative ideas can come from media. Can come from media, that is one hundred percent always the case. Some of the best ideas are media driven and media first, or experiential, or uh, traditional, more creative agencies, etc. But you can allow them. You can you can put the the production budget or a separate budget, sort of separated from everyone, where they don't handle that. And then if those ideas come in, then you open up that budget to the person who specifically created the idea. So it's not immediately like a creative agency has a X million dollar fee and then they have a, we'll just make it up, right? $2 million fee, basic. And they have a $4 million production budget that they always have to fill. But you're asking their capabilities are very specific and so they're always just trying to create ideas that fill that production budget that they have i think that way of operating is definitely changing i think you might retain them for ideation strategy creative concepting and that might feel more like a project slash retainer that's based on a different set of deliverables and then once we get into an integrated ideation with all our partners we're going to activate a full comms plan and determine who's best to make all of the right things you have to have a lot of trust with your partners to be able to go into a relationship like that but i've seen it happen quite a bit um i heard i heard years ago of, of uh clients uh giving incentives for collaboration, i.e. Mm. how good, uh, you know, to evaluate how good you were as a collaborative partner with other agencies and they yeah. would actually incent you. I think the most important, I've seen that go okay, I've seen that go terribly, um, but it, it always depends who the orchestrator, who that fulcrum is, and I think it has to be driven by the brand. Mm -hmm. So who they put in the middle of operating that is so important. And it's too hard generally, depending on the size of the company, for that to be the CMO or the head of marketing. It generally needs to be someone who's really great, who's their number two, or who's specifically partner management, getting them all to work together and making everyone feel like they are closely connected to the brand, that they have transparent access to knowing what's going on, what's changing versus, oh, you know, we are just sitting over here and we're trying to think of ideas, but we think someone else has activated that type of idea as well within the company, and we'd love to see their results, but nobody will share it with us. Like open transparency amongst partners, getting them to work well together while respecting that they are separate businesses. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're not, and they're driven by capitalistic <laughs> means, right? Like they need to, they're all trying, they're all competing in, in some ways, but how you can get them to work together, I mean, that's something that is, is beyond important. And if you think of how much uh, companies invest in hiring their partners and onboarding them, in getting that talent, having them just work on one quick project for agencies that you really respect and need to help grow your business is just, doesn't make any sense. You need people to learn with you, to fail with you, to learn through you know to learn through those various things so that we can come out stronger in more collaborative ways. But there's a, a lot of mistrust, I think, just based on how people have operated in the past. Mistrust from the clients, the agencies, or agencies amongst competitive agencies. Is that both? All of that. Both, yeah. Yeah. You know, you. I try to stay out of that dialogue of. Everyone always does this to us, and they steal our ideas, or we sit at the table, and this is how this happens. I'm like, okay, move forward. Then find the partners that you want to work with who don't treat you like that or don't do those things like that. Or if a pitch consultant comes around and asks you to do all of these types of things and they're talking to 12 different teams, say no. You don't have to do that. Mm. You, know? you can set up the right environment for your business to operate there's plenty of work to go around. Yeah, I, I just feel the sort of um, 
you know, this, it's, it's a somewhat desperate times and, and people are looking to maximize every kind of opportunity they have. Which is interesting because I think that really depends on what type of business you're running. There are agencies that, are, there's one agency I love, they're working with, with one of my clients and I would love for them to work on other pieces, other clients that I have. And so with those clients, there's no chance they're even opening up a slot for a new client this year. They are so busy and they are so focused on delivering for those clients that they won't take a new business meeting. They're like, oh, that's so so flattering. Thank you so much. We need to keep doing what we're doing really, really well. And there are, as a host of those, I get turned down by so many, I would say, I don't even know how you think about mm-hmm. mid-size, small-size, mm-hmm. whatever, but agencies that are probably like 40 to 100 people who are just hitting it out of the park right now. They're busy, they're profitable. As far as I am told, they are attracting magnetically talent and clients to what they're doing and they're putting out work that we all talk about. And that is, I think in many ways, it's a generation of people running them who worked within larger agencies probably, who have existed with technology platforms coming in, the disruption between creative and social and all of that. And they're building new ways of working in environments the way that they want. And that's great. And they can even come in and help clients also think about how they operationalize maybe their internal groups or structures. But the desperation um, perhaps is coming from groups who are making money in different ways and who have different types of team capabilities that the, that aren't necessarily what clients are looking for. I consistently tell people, if you want to know what brands are looking for, go to their uh, careers page and see who they're hiring. Because I guarantee you Freshly and Warby Parker or even Walmart and all the innovations they're doing with Jet are hiring a very different set of people than agencies are. And I understand that you know, they should they should be different, but if you don't if you you know, I, I think I published something a while ago where JWT I went to their site and it was like trends analyst and forecaster, whereas all the other companies in New York were like data strategist and CRM manager and all of these things that are very different mm-hmm. pieces of the business. And it's great to have trend forecasters and things, but I'm gonna probably hire that as a smaller 10-person shop or a consultant into my business. That's a roundabout way of saying that some of the larger entities were built with models to service business in a way that is a little bit more bloated. The, The large, large creative agencies, I wonder if we just need that type of work at scale anymore. It doesn't mean that we don't have a place for that work. It is incredibly value. It's incredibly important. But what we've seen is that a 10 to 20 person team that's focused on doing those types of things for you delivers just as much or if not better than a 300 person agency. Yeah, no, I mean, that'll make sense. I I, I think that idea of a new generation of of agencies where where there's a lot- And leaders. And leaders, and leaders in particular, Like we wanna build the companies that we wanna, we wanna, we want to work at, and right. I think there's this great sense of entrepreneurialism that's happening, and I love how so many of those agencies are bringing things together, social, PR, content production, you know, that's something that's definitely all rolled into mm-hmm. one now, which is great because, you know, I want the earned media component for that campaign also built on to how I'm launching it, and I want someone at the table that knows how to leverage the ideas we're doing into something that's exponentially more more pressworthy. So, yes, new models. I don't know about the desperation. Well, I mean, there's definitely a group of people out there yeah. who, who, who are who are in that camp for the reasons you, you, you sure. talked about because the, the structures aren't aren't flexible and. Well, you know, they've also gone through buyouts. There's people at the C-suite who are making, again, same with the client side, they're incentivized and they're making money in a very different way than maybe what aligns with what their clients sure. are asking them to sure. do. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, uh, you know, I think I think the 800-pound the gorilla is, is, is the fact of the matter is that um, television advertising 
is just disappearing. It is, it is, you know, it's sort of going away. And um, beyond people not wanting it, I think the the biggest issue is all the new network. I mean, all the new companies. Streaming. Disney Plus. Sure. They're not going to have ads. Yeah. So where are we? And it's such a question when you're building a comm strategy, let alone a media plan. Like I need to talk to people, and where do I do that? There are so many less places that are traditional, so you need non-traditional thinkers in the room, which is where you start to then think about PR and social and media at the table to, to do that alongside mm-hmm. you. And if you're an agency that doesn't have that, those type of people to help you ideate, then you just go back to the typical plan, which is we're going to make TV spots. They're shrinking. They're shrinking. Audience. Really overly simplified. Yeah, I yeah. Mean no, I, I, no I think I think that's interesting. There was there was a a really brilliant article that this might be the final thing we talk about. Okay. Just, um, in the New York Times, I don't know if you read it about um, the U.S. trademark office being deluged with applications for new brand names. Makes um, sense. And these are brands in not the truest sense. They're really just sort of names that exist on Amazon. Um, and they're in categories where you don't. If you're paying six ninety five for a pair of winter gloves, you probably don't really care who it comes from, as long as it sounds sort of legit. So like commodities, almost. They're basically commodities, and yeah. you know, it, you know, one of the one of the major, um, you know, back to that skill sets. You know, mm. uh, Amazon is. I think the recent data in terms of. Online accounts between 11 and 15 percent of total retail, but Amazon varies in its share of that yep. between 38 and pl- 50 plus. And then eBay is the next. Right. Yeah. So, um, how do you, if you're a brand, how do you deal with Amazon? And Amazon is sort of sucking the 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 brand worlds out of brands that to the point that you know it's about a name on a listing. So. Which is almost where I think Brandless kind of tried to yeah. say, well, do you even need a name now for your toilet paper or whatever? Right. So, yeah, what is, it kind of goes bladders back up to, do you have the drive, desire, ambition, budget, willingness to be a, <laughs> to be a real brand and the imagination mm-hmm. to be a real brand? Or are you going to, or if not, you could be in danger of being commoditized. And that's so specific to categories, right? Sure. It's where CPG is just having such struggle, but then also that battle takes place on the shelf, yep. right? And who's buying shelf space and yep. how that works. Sure. So anyway. I think brands are important. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, um, I don't know if you read the story. I was c- kind of intrigued and excited a little bit by the, the drum runner story on Cadillac mm. and the work in the Oscars, which I thought was quite interesting. And just the discipline and the rigor that they applied, not just thinking about just thinking about their target, which they partnered with their agency on, but also the CMO, new CMO over there, pushing their agencies to get the positioning and the platform really, really right, like agonizing over every single word. I think, and I think that's the the hard work is really saying, who do we, what do we, what is the job to be done of the brand marketing? We know performance and growth, like we kind of know how to run mm-hmm. a lot of that, but what do we need to invest on the brand side? What are we trying to do? Where are we trying to grow, steal market share from, get repeat, and building very tactical strategies against seeing small incremental growth in the right places versus kind of a broad stroke across many different categories and many different people and audiences. That's the challenging thing. Okay, final question for you. Oh, gosh. Um, new CMO, just been hired. Um, what should they be doing in their first, what should they be thinking about? If they're like, they're, they're, they're putting stuff in their notebook. They're putting post-it notes on the wall. Yeah. They're writing stuff in their bathroom towels after their shower. I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> but what is what it? Well, first of all, they should. Forty-eight hours in their first forty-eight hours. We're not talking ninety days. We're talking forty-eight hours here. What should what what should be the top major headlines that they should be thinking about? Obviously, it varies by category, situation, blah blah blah. But just like two or three things that they really need to be focused uh, 
well, these aren't really new because I think they're the Same. tried and true right things is you should sit down and map out what your goals are to, to do because otherwise everything is new and exciting and you're learning it and you just want to start fixing and working because you're so excited in your job. So being really focused on this is my 90-day plan and it's a listening tour and you just need to listen because the conversation you have – your first two conversations are going to differ from the next three and four conversations and 10 conversations, and they all create a more dynamic picture of what the job to be done is that you need to do. So I think it is being patient about listening and knowing at the end of it that um, there is a very specific set of goals and objectives that you want to come out with. And then not being too hasty about making changes and hiring new partners and sitting down and making sure that you build out, even if it's a one-sheet marketing plan and strategy, something that firmly makes decisions that say, here are the first few things I'm going to try to, to tackle. Great. This has been so awesome. listening, is that right? Listening's good. Okay. I hope. Yes. There are no right or wrong answers. It's just <laughs> provocative, interesting things that you know, uh, that help us think about stuff. So um, thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks for, being for part having of this. me and meeting finally. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks. Okay, bye.